0: Good evening and welcome to This Week in Football from the makers of Low Limit Football. I am your host, Joe Ucello, and joining me as always is my co-host, Mr. Roberto Rojas. And tonight we preview Group B of the 2022 World Cup. Roberto, this is probably the the group that you and I are going to be most focused on as we watch the tournament. In this group, we have England, Iran, USA, and Wales. Uh, Obviously, for our American interests, uh, this will be the one that we are going to be heavily focused on and this group leading into the World Cup uh, is kind of a mixed bag at this point, where you see uh, a team like Iran on the on the rise and and really performing well leading into their their matches going into the World Cup, while the other three sides—England, USA, and Wales—have really kind of fallen flat on their face in their prep matches heading in. There are questions of injuries on all sides, um, and, and we know that's going to happen given. Uh, the the compactness of the uh, of the club schedule. What are your thoughts on this group? I mean, uh, you know, as you'll hear in the interviews when we talk to Grant Wall, um, from a, from an American standpoint, if you replace Wales with Ghana, this would have been the the traditional the most traditional USA World Cup group in the history of World Cups. So, um, what are your thoughts on Group B as it broke down?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think obviously, you know, there are a lot of familiar foes. I mean, certainly you can't get. More familiar than playing, basically the mother country in England. And certainly, I think that was a match that even beforehand a lot of fans and pundits definitely wanted to play against. But even so, um, even taking it from the taking it out from the U.S. perspective, even the game against Iran, which you know could be politically charged, uh, as you know how relations can be in Wales being there as well. I mean, speaking from the England perspective, they're playing for obviously to see if they really are true enough to go and compete at this world cup and to be really known as world champions, if they really have the potential to do it, you know, playing against uh, the, f- the f- a familiar foe in Wales, you know, being based in the UK, um, playing against Iran, who obviously are no slouches and the United States, you know, are the team that they've never beaten in world cups. So, yeah, I mean, th- there's a lot to play for. It really is. And, and rightly so. I think, you know, It hasn't been officially made, but, you know, at the time of recording, these four teams are all in the top 20 of the FIFA ranking. So, therefore, it could be defined as a group of death. But, yeah, I mean, this is really a group for for all four teams, I must say, Joe. And after speaking to the four experts that we've had, it's open for anyone. It really is. And I think all of them will not take this game very lightly, whoever they play against or when they play against all the the three opponents, respectively. It, It will... It will be very much a side to see a, a group that really says who blinks first, and that blinking could indeed decide the the future and how they will settle this uh, this group.
0: Yeah, if you look at all four teams in terms in terms of the the groups, I think this group has uh, to an individual the most on the line for all of them regardless of the team you're looking at Um, and I think the final rankings are out so this would be considered the quote-unquote official group of death um, given that all four teams are ranked in the top 20 in the world it's just an amazing thing that um, has materialized going into this World Cup and adds just another layer of uh, suspense, mystery, and um, and intrigue to the the World Cup and, and this group in particular. So let's jump right into it because our first guest up is from Guinness World Records, Mr. Ralph Hanna, as he joined us to break down England. So without further ado, the Ralph Hanna interview. And joining us now on This Week in Football to preview England as they head to Qatar to challenge Group B for the 2022 World Cup, Ralph Hanna from Guinness World Records joins us. Ralph, welcome back to the show. Always a pleasure to chat with you, my friend. Uh, I know many of, of the listeners are familiar with your uh, your coverage of Paraguayan football and uh, and everything you, you do with, with Roberto with uh, Guarani Television. I'm sorry, uh, Guarani Vision. Sorry about that. Um, but... Can you give the listeners a quick recap of your ties to English football?
2: Yeah, sure thing. Thanks for having me back on the show, first of all. Good evening, guys. Um, well, I mean, to start, I am English, so I grew up there in, in England, and I was lucky enough to go as a fan to a couple of World Cups. I went to 2006 and 2010. Following England, I followed them in the qualification tournament as well. Um, and more recently i suppose i I'm, I'm i'm looking at them through through this miami uh, horizons i suppose where i am based now but i still follow of course the premier league and and english football from from over here so i'm um, excited as well to for them to have i think a good chance um, one of their better chances they've had for a while at this world cup
1: Definitely one of the better chances for this England side as we go into really what got them there. Now, obviously, this was an English side, if you remember, four years ago with Garrett Southgate, you know, against, I would say, a lot of pessimism and and really criticism given to, to the public, finished in fourth, going all the way to the semifinals, only losing to eventual runner-ups Croatia. Fast forward a couple of years later, and they go and participate in the Eurofinals, where they go and head off to the European Championship final, losing to Italy at Wembley. And, of course, you know, here we are now, just a few weeks from the start of the actual tournament, and it's been, I'd say, a roller coaster ride, I'd say, <laughs> over the last, I'd say, year or so since that, that, uh, that run at the Euros. Obviously, an England side that qualify for the World Cup comfortably, but in this year alone, in the games that they played in the Nations League, where they played six, if I'm not mistaken, haven't won any of them, haven't beaten Germany, haven't beaten Italy or Hungary in any of the matches home or away, and they got relegated to this Nations League. So just, Ralph, from your perspective, and even from those that you speak to based back at home or even those that do indeed uh, follow England as a whole, I mean, you would think that even with the team that we see that they're going to put out at, at Qatar with Derek Southgate, being able to, to mastermind this you would say that it's it's a complete change from the 180 where people were optimistic after that final run in the Euro that they could indeed go for more at this World Cup and they're always going to be amongst the favourites. But I think now, I think it's it's definitely been a, a different vibe for, for my sake and for a lot of people's sake as well towards this English side. How, how do you view England now just literally less than 30 days away from the start of the tournament?
2: Yes, it's... Is a, is a strange kind of situation, I suppose, they find themselves in because, to your point, if we, if we just look at World Cup qualifying, England were dominant and they they qualified first, of course. Not many problems. They only conceded three goals. They, they didn't lose a game in that qualification. And that included Hungary, who, of course, were in the European Nations League. And I suppose that's maybe the... The biggest test, in a way, we've seen, or the biggest comparison we can see is that how have England fallen and and suffered so much playing against the side they beat so easily in in qualifying? You could argue that the two results against Germany, the two draws, uh, are positive in in some respects, although I think the 3-3 draw with Germany, which was England's last game before they go into the World Cup, that was kind of a strange match in the sense that I think with teams knowing where they were and in the nations league, that is to say, they were kind of, they were playing a bit more freely than than you would expect. And I don't think we'll see England like that in in the World Cup, at least not to start, because we've seen in tournament football they're usually a bit more defensive, conservative as they as they play. So it's a strange situation. I think, I think one of the difficulties that Southgate has is players that he knows performed very well in the euros have not performed particularly well um, this year or the or the year since and so there's a question of do i do i field somebody like harry maguire who did a very good job for me in the the euros knowing that he's playing so badly and and, and really has been almost a it's fair to say a liability so he has that kind of situation with, with some players, he also has to think about players maybe he hadn't considered, like, uh, let's say, Kieran Trippier, a right-back, because he has so many right-backs to play. But now with Newcastle doing very well, and 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 Trippier, of course, was such a key player in the 2018 World Cup, is does he bring him back into the fold? So some of his decisions there, I think, uh, are, the, are just to, do, to make personnel changes and the risk between unbalancing a side that he's had together for a long time and then the reward of actually changing a little bit and and getting a bit more competition in for places knowing that they're going heading into that game against uh, iran to kick things off they're going into it on a on a winless streak of, of six games as you mentioned so i think it's it's an interesting place to be from my personal perspective i'm I'm less concerned about what I've seen in the last six games knowing what we've seen uh, at the Euros and and during the qualification which I would I would argue England have taken have taken more seriously and and not experimented as much as we saw in the Nations League.
0: So Ralph I, I want to jump into the group proper um, and I'm going to let my my co-host Roberto talk about um, Southgate's decisions and and if it could cost him his job in a, in a little bit, because I, I think it's an interesting dynamic there with the English national team, like you had alluded to a little bit just a few seconds ago. But I want to look at Group uh, Group B, because Group B is is a group that I think lays out, um, very interestingly for, for Gareth Southgate and the English national team, they go from a team they have never faced in international competition to a team they are incredibly familiar with in international competition. They start out on the 21st against Iran, uh, a team they've never played before then they meet the United States and for all the US fans listening to this uh, This this podcast I'd like to remind that England has never beaten the United States in a World Cup match believe it or not They faced each other twice United States won 1-0 in 1950 and they drew 1-1 in 2010 and then England takes on Wales a team They are incredibly familiar with having faced them a hundred and three times, which is an, an amazing uh, Number so there's a great familiarity there um, with England and the way they have been um, underperforming, they come into a Group B that where they look across the table and they look at other teams that have been underperforming as well in Wales and uh, the United States coming into this tournament. The only team that really people are excited about right now is Iran. And and so this, this becomes a tricky situation, especially if England are are underperforming and then jumping into a, uh, an opening match against a, a very confident Iranian side it could cause trouble for them. How do you see this group laying out for from an English perspective? Yeah, the, the first thing to pick
2: up on is, I don't know if enough people have called this the group of death um, as they should, because technically, I know FIFA, FIFA rankings aren't perfect, but this is the only group of the World Cup where all four teams are in the top 20, because Iran are actually in 20th position there in the FIFA rankings. You have Wales 19, and I think, uh, I think U.S. Are, are around 15. So technically it's the strongest group and Iran especially is is a very difficult opponent because they're so good defensively. That's what they built their World Cup qualifying campaign on. They only conceded a few goals, I think, in, in that final round. And so they're so strong and, and well-organized. And what we've seen with England and what Southgate's criticism has been a lot of times is that he's not very adventurous. He, he's very... Cautious, And so that can be difficult against teams that are hard to break down themselves. So I think what we're going to see in that opening game is really we, we need an an England that is well-organized, concentrated, but also brave enough on the ball to go and try and break down Iran. Because if, if England are conservative in their approach, that kind of plays into Iran's hands. And they would they would happily come away of that in that game with a nil nil draw, which is something that England have suffered sometimes at, at major tournaments. I remember the the draw with Algeria, for example, in in 2010, going back back then when they just couldn't break down uh, their opponents. So I think I think that's a that's a really important game to kind of set the tone. the The US match could it could arguably be I think the the most difficult, but but to your point, I think it's interesting, right? You, US are also in a they're in a similar position, I think, to England that they've started to to almost slow down over the last year instead of instead of getting better. And then with Wales, I think you have it's close to what we would call a, a derby or a, or a clasico because of the 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 nation's positions, and that neighbouring team, and they're two teams that know each other or two sets of players that know each other very well because of you have a lot of Welsh, um, uh, a lot of Welsh players playing in England, so, so I think it's, it's three very tough games, and, and particularly particularly the Iran match, uh, England really have to set the tone there, and like I say, be be brave and be adventurous going forward. So we hope to see Southgate picks a team that will be looking to to be more courageous and and less kind of conservative on the ball.
1: So certainly looking at this squad, I mean, obviously, you know, it's it says it for itself. We see a side that is full of debt and really, you know, players that we see week in and week out in the Premier League, with some exceptions that are playing abroad, such as Fico Tomori in Milan, Jude Bellingen and Borussia Dortmund, uh, Temi Abraham as well, playing in, in, in Italy at Roma. So, and the rest are all based in in England and I think that's always been one of the debates that <laughs> you see on social media, you see from pundits, you see from everywhere really. What is Garrett Southgate's best side and where do you feel as if though that one player is going to really change that match and, and really change the outcome for, for England to be successful? So having said that, Ralph, I'm gonna pose that question to you <coughs> excuse me. And ask, what do you feel is England's best side at this World Cup? What do you feel as if though Southgate should at least opt for uh, heading into these games. And, of course, you know, if if there is going to be that one player, it could be a Harry Kane, it could be a a Phil Foden, it can even be in goal with the likes of, you know, if, if he starts Jordan Pickford or in the defense, if maybe Harry Maguire is able to find his form again. But having said that, who will be that X factor on this side that will help England
2: be successful at this World Cup? It, yeah it's a good question and and again it to, it speaks to how how Southgate's going to to set his team up but I think the player that's really exciting in the Premier League now and is coming in on good form and is is in that attacking position and creative position that that England are looking for is Phil Foden because he's he's really made that position his own in 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 the Man City team this year you see him playing ahead of of Grealish for example where there was a long time I think where Southgate was criticized for example for not using Grealish because he was he's such an exciting player when he's on the ball but but you can see now Foden has added some goals to his game and he's he's such a dangerous player and and can really I think break down any kind of team so that's that's the one player I'm I'm hoping to see starts and and at 22 is it's not going to be his last World Cup but I think he, he could be a really devastating player for for England attacking wise and that's where I think that the real the the real what's the word kind of X factor is needed for for England they're going to be well organised I'm I'm not too concerned about that whether Maguire plays or not we'll we'll see but I think defensively they've always they've always looked to to organise themselves well is 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 rare. There was of course the the Germany match, the last match, but that was quite a rare occasion to see England concede, for example, three goals. So I think I think for me it's it's Foden who's very exciting, and then I have to see if somebody like Bellingham can can bring in that that Champions League form uh, into into an England shirt. I think so far he's found it he's found it difficult. Um and it's worth mentioning in the in the Bundesliga until recently he hadn't been scoring goals freely. He he recently scored, I think, his first goal in in a long while in the Bundesliga, maybe, maybe in um nine months or so. But of course we've seen in the Champions League on those nights his his ability to to get to be box to box and actually put get onto the end of things and, and score goals. So that could be an a really exciting player for England as well, to give that again, talking about that attacking kind of impetus that's somebody that can that can do that from midfield and but still provide the balance for england that they need defensively
0: now before you to predictions i want to just ask you a quick question and and i don't want necessarily a specific player here ralph but since we're talking about the players in the team i know gareth southgate uh, public opinion of him runs hot and cold uh, in england is there a position on this team where gareth southgate could get it wrong and cost him his job i mean you know like we said we, we've got plenty of of wingbacks to play for here i don't think harry kane is a place where he can get it wrong i mean if harry kane fails at the world cup i don't think anyone will put that on gareth southgate um i think with the goalkeeping position i think that that's pretty much solid um but is there a position that uh that could cost gareth southgate his job it's a good question i mean I think, I think
2: if if things go wrong it would be in the midfield. I mean that that's this is one thing to pick up on as well. The the one player that's been missing from the midfield that was very important in the Euros is Calvin Phillips of course because he's been injured. And so the the actual replacement I think is has been Jude Bellingham but like we've we've said he's maybe struggled or not struggled but not replicated his his form you see with with Dortmund, so you you do wonder if it's it's the case of just getting that balance right in midfield to to allow him to keep some of that that defensive structure that he enjoys, but also not becoming so defensive that that England find it impossible to break down their opponents. Because I would I would say definitely against Iran and, and Wales, they're they're going to be they're going to be playing against teams that sit deep. We'll see with the USA could be could be different. I think. Um, So it's getting that midfield balance right,
0: I think, is is the key for for Southgate. We'll find the answer to that mystery on Black Friday uh, in November. So let's let's get to predictions. Um, So for you, where do you see England ending up in this in this particular World Cup or, you know, primarily out of this group as it is the group of death? Um, And obviously, is it coming home? (laughs) <laughs> uh, no, I'm not. I'm not going to predict
2: this coming home because that would, <laughs> then I'd be jinxing in the whole thing. I think. I mean, I think with England, they do have a very good chance of of finishing top of the group. And I have a theory that Qatar are going to surprise a few people in Group A, being the hosts. And so there is a there is a fairly I mean, not easy, but. But there's a quite straightforward run to the semifinals compared to if they were to finish second, which then I, it would get much more complicated. So um, I do I do think we can see England keep up their recent tournaments, um, tournament football, where they've been managing to get past the quarterfinals. The quarterfinals, I think, has been England's, usually their natural ceiling. So mm-hmm. even with the the kind of average teams, or when they had a good team and underperformed, they they still usually hit the quarterfinals, but I think they can go one more and and reach the semifinals again. And then you never know, right? You never know, but I don't think I'm looking around at um let's say Argentina, Brazil, Spain, Germany, France have their injuries, but but now I've named about five teams, so,
0: to say England could win it, I don't think I'm I'm that confident looking at what's around. Yeah, the end product of this World Cup is going to be spectacular, to say the least. So, Ralph, I want to thank you for joining us on the show and uh, previewing England as they head to Qatar for Group B of the 2022 World Cup. All the best to, uh, to you and uh, good luck to England as they face uh, all their opponents in Group B. Thank you. Thanks for having me on, guys. Looking forward to it. And special thanks again to Ralph Hanna for joining us on the show. Next up, we were joined by Arya Alaverdi from Golbazan Podcast to preview Iran, England's opponent coming up in the first match of the World Cup. So without further ado, the Arya Alaverdi interview. And joining us now on this week in football to break down Iran as they head to group B of the 2022 World Cup in Qatar, Arya Alaverdi joining us from Golbazan. Arya, welcome to the show. It is great to have you on. I want to start out with your ties to covering Iranian football.
3: Uh, first of all, thanks a lot for having me on, guys. I really appreciate it. Uh, yeah, obviously, um, from Golbazan podcast, we're covering Iranian football um, on a daily basis, really, uh, in the English language, mainly. Um, that was obviously my kind of foot in the door to to, to Iranian football of course i'm i'm born in scotland Uh, this is where i grew up um my parents are both from iran and obviously i i coach football myself that's what i do for a living i actually coach football so uh, i think it was a natural kind of blend of two things coming together being iranian and also being involved in the game on a daily basis so i just thought might as well make a make a bit of um, content out of it. Obviously, the podcast was uh, available and I joined them. And um, yeah, they never doing it quite regularly.
1: So now looking at this Iranian side and, and really just assessing the last four years, because we did see them at the, the 2018 World Cup, their second successive one, now they're going into the third successive one under Carlos Quirosh, But looking at this, this journey really for Iran. It's it's really been kind of something I would say because they under, undergo two different managers after K-Rush in Mark Wilmot and uh, Dragon Stojic, um, and really undergoing I'd say really a roller coaster of a ride. Like there was really like some kind of crisis. <clears throat> excuse me from like the the FA point of view, and and now Karrasch comes in literally months before the start of the World Cup, and you know it, it took a it took a really interesting World Cup qualifying process for them to get to there automatically from Asia. But how have you assessed, in a nutshell, really, the last four years of this national team from Russia 2018 to now,
3: just weeks before the start of the of the World Cup? Um, yeah, you're right. Um, it's been a bit of a rollercoaster. Um, Carlos Geros left after the 2019 uh, Asian Cup. And obviously, as soon as he left, uh, we brought in Mark Wilmots a few months later. Uh, and I think from there, it was a little, little bit of a, you know, just a, a rough ride for the national team. You know, he, he took this team over um and he had, obviously I had a couple of wins. I think he won like 14-0 against Cambodia. And then we, we had two defeats to uh, Bahrain and Iraq, which was a big wake-up call because I think the players were not happy with him as a coach he wasn't the kind of guy the kind of character they were looking for in their, in this team to replace uh, carlos Queiroz, um, who's of course is back now as the coach and i think uh, with that um, the the federation chose to bring in dragan skocic who took the team over qualified us to the world cup in a very uh, quick and uh, simple fashion yes we lost to south korea uh, that was our only defeat. Other than that, we pretty much breezed through qualification when you look at the results. But I think the issue comes to performances. You know, we didn't perform to the standard we expect of our team. We we looked okay in some games. We looked pretty good in some games, but we looked really poor in, in games that we were not expecting to look like. For example, we, we, lo- we almost lost to Lebanon in one game and we only got that we got through that game with a win with two last minute goals that were very lucky and it was like a bit of a, a scrap at the end but we got through a lot of games like that that we probably shouldn't have won um, and we did which is great but at the same time we were expecting more and I think the federation similarly was in that same boat they were expecting more so they ended up bringing back it's another full circle situation where they actually brought back Carlos Kairosch as the head coach. Um, So it's been a bit of a rocky ride. Um, It's been stable when you look at what's happening on paper, but I think deep-rooted stuff was a bit of a rocky ride for sure.
0: So now I want want to jump in and look at the group because uh, Group B, I I know from an American standpoint, you could have almost predicted this is almost one of those UEFA warm-up, the uh, ping-pong ball type situations because you have England, you have Iran, United States, and For me, as an American, I would have expected Ghana in the fourth slot instead of Wales, but again, that's my conspiracy theory, but... When you look at this from uh, Iran's standpoint, this is this is not the easiest group. It's a very tricky group with different styles of play. Um, And they're going to open their first match against England, a team that they've actually never faced before. So how from an Iranian standpoint, how does this group uh, how did this group uh, appear to you? What did you feel about this group when it was drawn? And how do you feel this group will play out uh, as we move through the tournament?
3: It's a great group for Iran. It's a great group because it's going to have a lot of eyes on it. It's going to have, you know, millions and millions of eyes on it around the world. You know, um, of course, England are one of the top teams in the world. And um, I think even Carlos Kyrgios was asked that question, you know. Uh, some media in England were asked, uh, were maybe saying that Iran are maybe the underdogs and they, you know, they're, they're the team that is going to be easy to beat. And, you know, Kirosh answered with, you know, well, we want to play against the best country in the world because if, if they're going to beat us, then we should be able to to give them a good challenge. So um, I think that's what the kind of the mentality Iran is going to be going into this game with. Um, you know, there's no doubt that, uh, of course, we're the top uh, nation in Asia, we're the first ranked. Um, whether we should be first ranked is a bit debatable. I think it maybe should be. A, Maybe South Korea, maybe Japan. I don't think if we're, I don't think we really are. If you look at what we've done on the pitch, but I think we are one of the top teams in Asia, and they were coming into this group with uh, two very good victories uh, against. Uh, sorry, not victories, but two very good performances in our last two friendly matches. Despite all the 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 protests that were going on, rightly so, uh, they uh, they had two games that were good performances, and uh, they look in good condition right now, the national team. So I think it's not going to be easy for us to still play against England, but looking at what how England have done in the in their recent games. Um and dare I say, it, look how maybe the US have done recently as well. Not not the best. And Wales have not been great either. So you know look Iran was looking in a better situation um after this international break from a from a footballing standpoint. So let's see how it goes.
1: Now, obviously, looking into this really Iranian side, um, obviously, there are very much a, a talented squad. Looking forward, when you look at the likes of Golos who's playing at Brentford in the midfield, and you look at the the attacking um, at, end of Tarimi playing at Porto, Jaqan Baezha's playing at Feyenoord, uh, obviously, Sadar Osmond playing at, at Bayer Leverkusen. So there is talent there, and, and we kind of have noticed that. And I think... Aria, for, for anyone that really is, is following this Iranian side moving forward, I think they, they need to understand that this is a talented side and, and I think should never be underestimated at all. So I just want your thoughts on really if this side is going to be successful at this World Cup, who are the main players that do indeed need to step up? And hell, even if there are some that maybe I haven't even mentioned or maybe there are some people that maybe don't know yet and could be you know under the radar and could make that jump to a, a big team in the future... Uh, who are they
3: uh well of course the, the two names um Sadar Osmond and and Mihitarimi, who are two of our top strikers at the moment uh you know they're very important for us because you know that in order to to win games you have to score goals and I think they're the two that do that fairly regularly for this national team and if they stay fit and they stay ready um I don't see I don't see even the you know even England uh finding it easy against them you know, because they've got that ability to finish chances off. Um, the other player that I'm looking at at the moment, and I'm looking at the last two friendlies um, that we played, somebody who really has no right to be playing well. Like, when I say that, I mean, like, looking at his career just now, he's really done nothing. But he's such a talented player. And that guy is uh, side a Zatolahi, who plays currently in a Danish second tier. And he was actually playing the last uh, six months or so in the Qatari League, uh, having gone out alone uh, from the same team he's at just now, but they were they got relegated from the Danish first year. Um, and he's a player who looked very impressive in our last two friendly matches, looked very assured in possession up against guys like Valverde, uh, Vecino, uh, Bentancur, um uh, give me some players from Senegal, uh, Papa Gay from PSG, PSG uh, Mendy from Leicester, and he played really well up against all these players. But ultimately, he isn't in the best condition. But it shows you how talented he is that he can still play at a high level. So, so he's one player. Another player that I'm looking at who's done really well as well recently, especially in in his uh, in his club uh, performances, is Magi Tosini, our, our centre back plays in Turkey plays with Spor. Um he played against Portugal in Spain in a 2018 World Cup that those were like his very early caps for the national team. that was maybe it's like his third and fourth cap for his national team and right now he's a much more experienced player looks really assured um and I think you I, I'm expecting him to be a starter at the World Cup considering how good he's been uh, this season. Uh, so, yeah, those 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 three, uh, those four, I think, are very important. Also, the final player that maybe should get a shout-out is uh, Moharami. So, saw so that Moharami plays in Dinamo Zagreb, played against Chelsea in the Champions League recently, uh, against AC Milan, um, was very good up against Rafael Liao, uh, and then also uh, he played up against... Uh, Darwin Nunes against, in Uruguay, up against Sadio Mane in Senegal, and just looked very, very good, didn't make any mistakes, looked very strong in in those games. So I think, again, we've got players who are, who are in good form, but the most important thing for Iran is, is as a collective, can they come together and be, be good up against teams like England and USA, Wales?
0: So I, I want to get to the prediction part of the program here, because I want to ask you... What your predictions are for this Iranian side, um, like we've like we've shown, that they're very talented, um, they've got some good coaching, um, they breeze through qualification. How do you see uh, Group B playing out for them um, in terms of a prediction? And if they were able to make the run all the way to the World Cup final and win it, what would it mean for a, a large Middle Eastern team to be able to win the first Middle Eastern World Cup Playing it in the Middle East, what would that mean for the for the region and for the nation?
3: Well, we're not going to win the World Cup. I mean, that
0: just... <laughs> <laughs> you never know. Not...
3: I mean, the ball is round. No, like the... <laughs> no, no. I mean, look. Um, obviously, like it would be, it would be great. You know, obviously, winning the World Cup for any nation would be great. Um, there is, there is a little bit of a bittersweet uh, sense with it just now. With again, what's happening back home. Uh, You know, we can't go without addressing that. I think it's very important that we address what's happening. Um, And I think, you know, naturally, uh, there has been uh, a bitter uh, taste with the national team in the mouths of of many Iranians. And I think to some extent, rightly so, um, you know, because obviously they feel like, you know, maybe the players weren't, showing enough of a protest in the, the last two friendlies, which I, I actually do agree with. Maybe that could have been a, a bit more evident. So I think, um, just back to your point, it would be great to win it, again, from a footballing standpoint. I mean, obviously, for any nation, it'd be fantastic to win the World Cup. Mm-hmm. But I think putting that aside, you know, uh, you know, th- winning it in, in the Middle East, you know, that's great. But that's not really uh, to the point. The point is for us to go to the World Cup, and I think the goal for this national team has to be to perform better than they did in 2018. That that can be the only real goal for this national I mean, as I said, we didn't do great in qualification and in, in performances. And I'm not trying to be negative, but, you know, really the only goal we can have is to do a bit better than we did in 2018. If we go on to get to the second round of the World Cup, for example, which is obviously going to be the major goal for us, that would be very good. That would be a very good accomplishment, um, and again, it would be important. Uh, but again, uh, it's not to take away from again what's happening back home, because again, the football takes a back seat in these moments.
0: Mm-hmm. No doubt. Arya, thank you very much for coming on the show and joining us to preview Iran as they head to Qatar to challenge for the top spot in Group B at the twenty twenty two Qatari World Cup. All the best to you and good luck to Iran as they make their journey to Qatar.
3: Thanks a lot, guys. I really appreciate it. Um I just I wish the best for for the for the US, the Welsh and the, the English national team and I'm hoping for for good matches in Qatar.
0: And special thanks again to Aria Oliverdi for joining us on the show. Next up, to preview the United States, we were joined by Grant Wall from GrantWall.com. So without further ado, the Grant Wall interview. And joining us now on This Week in Football from Grant GrantWall.com, U.S. soccer journalist Grant Wall. Grant, welcome back to the show. It is great to have you back on. Um, I know for many of the listeners, it'll be second nature as to you know, your history, your, your history in covering the U S men's national team. But for those that aren't familiar with it, if you can give us a quick rundown as your ties to the U S men's national team. Yeah, sure. First off, great to speak to you guys again.
4: Um, and just a great time of the year for so much going on in club soccer and, and national team stuff as we get ready for the world cup. But, um, yeah, I go back a ways to the previous century, I guess, professionally, even at this point, um, So I got out of college in 96 and I always wanted to work at Sports Illustrated. That was my goal uh, from before I even got to college. And so uh, luckily, I ended up there with an entry level job as a fact checker, uh, sort of starting out at the bottom in 96. And even then, I was sort of viewed as the soccer guy because there weren't that many writers there who were into the sport. There was very little demand to cover the sport from the people who ran Sports Illustrated at the time. And so I raised my hand whenever there was anything soccer-wise to come up, which wasn't as much as I probably would have preferred. But we did cover World Cups, obviously, and we covered big U.S. national team games. So, um, you know, I can remember going to the 98 World Cup and – Uh, covering the U.S. in that tournament. Uh, In the months leading up to that tournament, I remember uh, covering a few of the U.S. World Cup qualifiers. My first one, I think, was uh, USA Jamaica, Washington, D.C., 1997. Dropped points at home, which helped Jamaica make the World Cup, but uh, made things a little dicey for a while for the U.S., and then uh, kind of went from there, you know, I covered the 99 Women's World Cup, which became this huge cultural event with the U.S. winning and uh, thankfully became a full time writer at Sports Illustrated after just about a year and went from there uh, to the point where I was just really lucky to cover so many big events and stories and and soccer figures over the years Great memories of all of it. Can't believe I've been doing this for 25 years now, 26, I guess. Um, now on my own, uh, my own boss now at GrantWall.com, which has been a lot of fun uh, covering soccer exactly the way I want to do it. Uh, there's so many great stories in this sport, and I'm just really thankful to get to do it. And, you know, certainly, Grant, it's it's
1: really kind of a, a full circle as we go into kind of the history, because obviously you were able to see kind of this contemporary history and, and evolution of U.S. soccer since the, the 90s when they first hosted it in 94 and then going to significant World Cups afterwards. You know, it was unfortunate that they did miss out in 2018 in Russia. And here we are now speaking, literally almost a month away from the start of the tournament in Qatar. And it's been kind of a, an interesting evolution, we would say, because certainly this is a side that now had to bring in a new generation under new manager Greg Berhalter, Obviously, was able to return some silverware, winning the Gold Cup, winning the Nations League. But of course, having, as always, on uh, when it comes to U.S. soccer fandom and, and from anyone that's involved in the media, there is always a subject for debate. So I just want your thoughts on how you view this United States national team a month before the start of the World Cup, which I think is going to be a, a big one being played in a, in a different kind of season
4: and, and kind of landscape, really. Yeah, there's so much that uh, we could address there. I mean, I will say these last two U.S. games, the friendlies before the World Cup were pretty disappointing uh, in terms of not just the results, but the performance by the U.S. team uh, to lose to Japan 2-0 and and look really um, poor doing it in terms of handling the Japanese pressure, in terms of not creating chances themselves. Uh, slightly better performance, I guess, against Saudi Arabia in a nil-nil draw, but still so much missing. Uh, if that had been a World Cup game and the U.S. had just gotten a point, I think that would have been very disappointing as well. So lots to question right now. And I think it's great that the U.S. is back in the World Cup. I can't believe it's been eight years since the men have been in a World Cup. But I do think these last two games kind of changed the tone around the team in the sense that heading into them, I think people were pretty optimistic about the chances of this U S team to advance from their group and heading out of it. I think there's more pessimism now and there are genuine doubt about whether this U S team is good enough to advance. That's a pretty major change. Um, And there's specific positions on the field that I, I think are really up for debate about who should be playing. You know, uh, we're talking on a day when Matt Turner played for Arsenal again, played well, was for some people the man of the match in the Europa League win. And, you know, Zach Steffen, if he's healthy, I still think is going to be Greg Burhalter's choice. And, and I would question that choice at this point. And then you've got other choices being made in terms of who the center backs are. I think Walker Zimmerman, uh, has established himself, but Aaron Long, I don't think has. And uh, I think there's, um, you know, some people questioning that as they should in, um, in other players that haven't been in Jordan P. uh, not even in the camp, despite being, you know, the last time, despite being on the first place team in the Bundesliga and scoring goals for them. Um, it's pretty clear that Greg Berhalter has his guys and, puts a, a lot of weight on players who've spent a lot of time in the camp over the last two years. Um, and we'll see if that ends up being really risky once the tournament starts in November.
0: So Grant, I, wa- I want to jump into the group now because when the ping pong balls fell uh, in the draw for this World Cup Really, if if you take Wales out and you put Ghana in, this would have been like the traditional (laughs) men's group for the U.S. men's national team, right? I mean, England, Iran and Ghana would have been would have made sense to every U.S. soccer fan on the planet. Um, We got Wales, which which is not good, (laughs) you know. Um, But now with the new FIFA rankings, this this is really the the toughest group. uh, You know, may I say the group of death? Uh, now at this point, how does this group play out for you? Especially when the England match, which is the one that everyone's going to circle on their calendar is the match in the middle. Um, you know, and it's not where they're going to need points, but it's not that they've survived yet. How does this group play out for the U S so far?
4: Well, you certainly hope that England game isn't a game where the U S has to get points. Um, but there will be a lot of pressure if the U S loses the first game, Right. Um and so um you look at Wales, you look at Iran, you look at England, and I think on paper this is a difficult group at this point. And I don't think there's a lot on paper that you know is different in terms of strength between Wales, the US, and Iran. England is on paper a better team than the other three. Um, and and we'll see how that plays out because I do get the feeling that so much of this is on paper, right? Because very few teams from different confederations play each other at this point over the last few years due to the Nations League setup in Europe that sort of prevents those teams from being available for friendlies very often. And so I feel like the U.S. hasn't really played many teams outside of CONCACAF uh, over the last few years. And I think that's a, a real question mark that's being left over how good is this u.s team we really haven't had a chance to see them play an elite opponent uh for a while and i don't consider japan or saudi arabia even even though they're in the world cup to be elite i wish the u.s had gotten a chance to play against argentina or brazil or you know some top european teams so um i look at this at the world cup as There's so much variability about how this U.S. team could perform. I could see them getting out of the group. I could see them crashing and burning. It's a young team. They like to say the youngest team that's qualified for the World Cup. But you don't know necessarily what comes with that. It should not be a team that is overawed by the occasion, simply because a lot of these U.S. players have played in UEFA Champions League before. Um, And so, you know, we'll have to... Wait and see how that goes. Um, but you want players to be fit. You want them to be in good form. And there's certainly questions about even the U.S. players like Christian Pulisic, Weston McKinney, that haven't been in necessarily great form lately.
1: And, and that's actually a good segue to my next segment about these players, because certainly, you know, like you said, it is the youngest side to play at the World Cup on average, but also, you know, there is no World Cup experience between any of them or any of the players that would be going, okay, maybe the case of a DeAndre Yedlin, who played in 2014, but outside of that, you really see a lot of newcomers, and, you know, certainly that goes to really my next question, is, you know, obviously Greg Berhalter and a lot of fans are really going to be looking at what really is the best United States side that can be put out there in those games against Wales, England, and Iran. So I want to pose that question to you and say, what do you feel is the strongest lineup that the United States can indeed put at this World Cup? And also, just I think when you look at this, and certainly in the next four years when they do have to host this tournament uh, on home soil and co-hosting it with Mexico and and Canada— how do you feel as if, though, this kind of occasion of playing in a World Cup will will get to these players um, who obviously grew up watching their teams at, uh, at World Cups as well?
4: I mean, if you ask what my ideal lineup for the U.S. would be, uh, I would say Matt Turner in goal. I would say Serginio Dest at right back. Uh, Walker Zimmerman at center back. For me, Chris Richards, if he's healthy. And we'll see because that's a growing question uh, at club level. Uh, left back Jedi Robinson, uh, in the midfield, Tyler Adams, Weston McKinney, Eunice Musa, who I think could be the breakout player for the U S in this world cup. He's getting healthy and playing again, which is good. Uh, and then up front, uh, um, I mean on the wings, I would say Christian Pulisic, uh, and for now, Brendan Aronson, though, I think that could be up for grabs with Gio Reyna, depending on, his health uh, and ability to play for a suitable amount of time in a game. Uh, And then, you know, for me, like I would, I would consider starting Jordan Pifak up front. You want center forwards who score goals, but I don't think there's any chance of that happening. Even if Pifak makes the team, I think the most likely scenario is Jesus Ferreira. So, you know, he's fine, Uh, but it's not a strength position for the U S hasn't been for a while. And I still think there's questions about whether Arena or an Aronson should potentially play centrally in the midfield. But it's it's tough with that because uh, I do think the the Musa Adams McKenney partnership, when the U.S. is playing at its best, those guys have been on the field. Um, so that's how I look at the lineup.
0: Yeah, I think I think if if you're gonna do something like that, I I think it would be a, a big change in formation for the team. And I think this close to the world cup is probably not the best time to institute something like that. You almost wonder if, if you did that and you wanted to go with like a number 10 behind a striker that maybe a guy like Luca Della Torre might be the, a better option. What are your thoughts on that? I wish
4: he played more at club level. He mm. doesn't. Um, and so, you know, he's had some decent games when he started for the U.S. I can think of that game in Minnesota. That was so cold and a couple other occasions, but I'm not sold on him as like a guaranteed starter by any means. And I would love to see him play more at Celta Vigo. He hasn't yet. And
0: so that's kind of where I stand on him. Absolutely. Um, So we're going to get to the predictions part of the program. And, you know, for me, I am, I am the traditional Homer. Um, I'm regretting my, Decision of choosing Juventus to win the Serie A right now, um, but that's okay. I stand by my prediction, and it's still early, I guess. Um, but uh, but so for me, um, being an American, I I would say the U.S. is going to win the World Cup. That's that's my hope. That's my heart. I know it's not true so um but in your opinion what would uh, what would your prediction be for this this United States uh, men's national team would it do they get out of this group how far do they advance we saw the the magic against Belgium eight years ago um, and hopefully they're, they're in a position to at least repeat something like that but where do you think they finish off and ultimately um, winning the World Cup we saw what bringing the World Cup uh, to the United States in 94 did for Um, advancement of soccer in this country, Uh, the MLS, everything else that came of it. But what would it mean if they actually won the World Cup in this particular window? You mean in 22? Yeah, in 22, before they host in 26. I hadn't even really entertained the thought of this
4: U.S. team winning the World Cup this year. Um, But, I mean, obviously that would be a life-changing moment uh, for so many people who have been following u.s men's soccer um you know i get the question a lot of times of like will the u.s men win a world cup in our lifetime and i'm generally optimistic about that i also say i plan to live to 150 but <laughs> uh, it, it's the kind of thing that i haven't really even thought of as a possibility for 22 uh, i think it's very unlikely Uh, I know that people do sort of view this U.S. team as they're young. They're hosting in 26, and the deep run is going to come in 26. But surprises happen in soccer. And so I'm not writing off 22 as as a chance for the U.S. to make a run to the quarterfinals. And who knows, maybe beyond. I I, I still feel like this team, though, based on what I've seen in terms of how they play, um, I think they're a team that if I had to predict, we'll get out of the group. Won't be easy. Um, could be some moments where you're like, I don't think they're going to make it and then they might. So I lean toward them getting out of the group, but then I I think it would be more likely that we'd see a performance like the one against Belgium in 2014, where the U S is absolutely dominated in the knockout rounds. I think that's the most likely scenario for this Mm -hmm. team. Um, you know the the second round opponent. If the U.S. were to get second in the group, say behind England, would likely be the Netherlands. I think. Um, and while that's not an insurmountable foe, I think that also would be uh, the potential, you know, pu- you know, characteristics for a Belgium type blowout. Um, and I know it wasn't a blowout; it went to extra time, but it was a domination by Belgium. So I'd like to see the U.S. perform, like, have good performances. In this tournament, uh, I realize so much is still about results. When I go back and look at the 2014 World Cup, I feel like the U.S. had good results overall in its group, but actually didn't perform all that well. Uh, if you look and if you actually ask the question, how many good performances and halves did the U.S. have in 2014, I don't think it was that many. Um, but in the end, we're still in a stage of this country's soccer development that the results are what matter most. So that's
0: a sense of how I'm feeling, I guess, right now. No, I, I definitely couldn't agree with you more. I think, uh, I think a lot of folks are, are looking at, you know, a good performance, getting out of the group. Um, I think a deep run could possibly happen, but I also think at the same time that, you know, uh, one of those Belgium matches that even though they got dominated um, in that match, just the fact that they had a puncher's chance all the way to the Chris Wondolowski miss, I I think is, 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 massive. Um, and I think would, you know, ultimately if, if, if that's what happened against the Dutch, which when you said the Netherlands, I literally thought that would be like the next Belgium. Do you know what I mean? Right. And, um, and so if they, if they have a massive performance, they get out of the group, maybe draw England, uh, on, on black Friday. And they, you know, they, they have a, they get to the Netherlands. They, they take them to extra time in the round of 16, Win or lose, I I think that would actually be a success um, for the U.S. and a great preparation for hosting in 2026. So I I think that that is definitely a goal. Um, And again, though, my heart says let's win it and let's win back-to-back World Cups and do something, uh, you know, that Brazil and Italy have only done. So um, again, so for everyone, uh, GrantWall.com, definitely go check it out. Grant, thank you for coming on the show, joining us, helping us break down the U.S. men's national team as they head to Qatar and Group B of the 20. 2022 world cup absolute best of luck to the u.s men's national team all the best to you grant and safe travels to uh qatar Qatar this uh this year thanks so much for having me on special thanks again to grant wall for joining us on the show last but not least we were joined by beth fisher sports reporter currently in wales to preview the welsh national team as they head to face the united states in their opening match of the 2022 world cup so without further ado the beth fisher interview and joining us now on This Week in Football to preview Wales as they make their way to Qatar for Group B of the 2022 World Cup. Beth Fisher, freelance sports writer, is joining us. Beth, welcome to the show. It is great to have you on. I'd like to start out with a question about your ties to covering Welsh football.
5: Yeah, I mean, listen, I'm I'm born and bred... Uh in wales i played hockey for wales field hockey that is um so i've been involved in welsh sport for wow goodness about 25 years but i've worked in it and reported on it probably for the last 20 years so yeah more in particular for the last five years been reporting on uh men's and women's football I- in wales so yeah i'm heavily tied to the country and it's a real honor to report on an amazing journey for both teams at the moment
1: and it certainly has been an amazing journey because now, obviously, looking into Wales and and kind of the last four years, it's been kind of a a really a, a roller coaster ride in a good way, I would say, because obviously this is a side that, um, you know, went to the Euros last year at the at this time, obviously went to the round of 16 and then headed off to Qatar, their first World Cup since 1958, so it's the first time in. 64 years that they'll be participating in this competition. The fact that they were able to do it via the playoffs in a really interesting playoff uh, situation where they were able to, to defeat um, Ukraine and really would have been a, a kind of a, an interesting matchup between the two nations, but they were able to do it. And, you know, that's kind of my question, really. It's just, like, how have you seen this kind of evolution of, of Welsh football? You know, obviously they did make that great run back in 2016 at the Euros. They didn't make that World Cup afterwards, but they obviously now qualify for a Euros and now a World Cup uh, consecutively. So I just want to ask, really, how have you seen this kind of the evolution of Welsh football and, and kind of, I guess, the mood right now in the country uh, heading for, for this World Cup, which I think will be a definitely a special one given the opponents that they will be facing as well?
5: Yeah, I mean, it's been a crazy seven years if you think about it. You know, that's when they, you know, beat Belgium in the qualifiers for 2016 and then went on that incredible run, which kind of was so kind of unexpected for Wales because, you know, in a lot of sports um, and as a country, really, we like being the underdogs and we perform, I think, better. As the underdog. So that kind of moment in time took Welsh football to a level which I don't think anyone expected, if I'm honest. Um, If you were in Cardiff when they returned from uh, 2016, you know, they reached a semi final. I I personally think if they had had Ramsey and ben davis in that team i think they probably and i think i honestly I, I think they would have beaten portugal um but the scenes back in wales were like they won the euros you know and and that for me I, I, you know i still remember where i was watching them when they came in through their double decker bus and from that moment on you know this side um it's been it's not been straightforward obviously you know you've had issues with ryan giggs the manager and that's how rob page took over but for me um reporting on it and I, you know i met rob page when he first took over as caretaker manager and now he's obviously the permanent manager what he's done is again has taken wales in my opinion to another level whereby you know we've just been um obviously in the nation's league and we we're competing with the big teams in the world you know we we um we we did well against belgium the other week which who are you know who are number one in the world so for me, it's been a kind of like almost like a fairy tale experience uh, watching the team. Um, but now, even with the draw that's being made for the next Euros, Rob Page is saying he wants to be top of that group. So, you know, I think we have to learn as Welsh people that, you know, we have to learn how to win as not as underdogs as well. Um, so that's that's the feeling, I think, for Wales is that, like I said, we're so used to being kind of that small country. But now we have to kind of really be those giants when we go to, the, you know, the likes of the World Cup and, and the next Euros if we get there.
0: Now, Beth, I'd like to look at the group, Group B, um, a group that Roberto and I are certainly very, very focused on, uh, both being here based in the United States. Uh, and Wales will open Group B against the United States on the 21st of November. They've only faced each other twice. Uh, Wales then will face Iran uh, on the 25th, and they've only faced Iran once back in 1978. So I'm sure there's no familiarity there whatsoever. Uh, but England at the end of this run was is a team that, and I'd have to do some homework because They faced each other 103 times, which is to me an amazing, amazing number. How does this group break down for you, especially now that, you know, the new FIFA rankings have come out and this has, in essence, become the group of death because all four teams are ranked in the top 20 in the world. What are your thoughts on this group?
5: Yeah, I mean, listen, I, I would like to say as well that as um, as a country, we, we hate being drawn with England, um, not because we're scared of them, but because the media in the UK is just an- another different level, you know, and, and that's why... You know, in some respect, it becomes a little bit boring. But um, I think for us, I mean, I'm looking at that group, and you know, I I personally believe that on the day that Wales can beat any of these teams. Um, I think you know, I think the opening against the USA will be really interesting. I was at their nil-nil um, friendly in 2020, and Wales put out a kind of a, you know a different side to the normal starting lineup. But the thing about the Americans, I mean, you can you can in, you know interrupt me if I'm wrong, is that. They are physically so, you know, so fit. They, you know, they love running the flanks. They've got some really quick players. And I think Wales, like in any World Cup game, will have to be at their very best. But I think it's going to be a really exciting opener. I think the fact that they haven't played, you know, USA and Iran many times, I think kind of adds to that kind of, you know, what's going to happen. And personally, you know, even just thinking about it now, I've kind of got like goosebumps and, uh feeling really really excited for it um but yeah i mean listen you know football is you know and sport is a strange beast and i think i wouldn't you know as especially as a welsh person i'm not going to say yeah we're definitely going to get out of the group um but it's it's definitely could have been worse in my opinion and that's no disrespect to any of those teams in the group
1: Yeah, and I think it's certainly a very open group, not just because of the team that are playing against each other, but obviously the quality of players. And that goes into my next segment about these players that Wales will put out. Because I think, obviously, we know the likes of a a Garrick Bell. We know what he's been doing over his career as, you know, maybe the most important Welsh sportsman, at least of his generation and maybe of all time, if you want to go into that debate. But certainly you have him, you have the likes of Daniel James. Uh, you have other players such as Nico Williams, Wayne Hennessey, the, the goalkeeper. So I just wanted to ask you really, you know, for this Welsh side to be successful, and I think, you know, this is obviously looking at this team as a whole, who do you feel as if, though, are the ones that do need to stand out? And and really, um, for, you know, it doesn't matter if you're an English fan or American fan or even an Iranian fan as well. Like, what are the things that we do need to look out for for this Welsh side uh, when the, when they do face them?
5: Yeah, it's a really difficult one. I think, you know, for so long, we've relied on the likes of Bale, Ramsey and and, and Allen. Um, But for me, I think the youngsters really got to step up in this tournament. You've got like, like you said, you've got Ampadu, who plays above his age. But you have the likes of Brennan Johnson, who for Nottingham Forest has well definitely lit up the championship last year. He scored in the Premier League. Um, But for Wales, you know, these guys have got to be playing um, some club football. Um, Keeper Moore was on the bench yesterday. I know he came on. But for me, it's the likes of those guys who um, I think have really got to take the pressure off a little bit of Bale and Ramsey. Because let's be frank, you know, what is it? Um, three games in eight days or something? You know, Bale and Ramsey aren't getting any younger. And I know they, you know, they will play their hearts out for Wales. But equally... Like I keep repeating, we we have relied on them for too long. So for me, if I'm going to pick out one player, I think Brennan Johnson could be that player um, who could maybe take over the little kind of the, the, the superstar uh, spotlight from Bale a little bit. I think, you know, he hasn't started much for Wales, if at all. Um, but I think his last couple of performances, I think, will give Rob Page certainly a headache as well.
0: Now I, I, I'd like to go into the prediction part. I do have one little comment that I do want to make for uh, for Wales uh, in terms of their players. For me, I've always said that the the fact that Gareth Bale went to MLS to play for the LA Galaxy, I'm sorry for the uh, for LAFC. Was possibly one of the best things that could have ever happened to Wales because his his time at Real Madrid was was kind of sporadic. Do you know what I mean? He was getting matches and yeah. spurts, and here he goes to to play basically in the United States against many of the players that he may face in the World Cup. He will be fresh off the end of the season from MLS, um, and it looks like LAFC will make a deep run. And I think it couldn't have it could have done. It was probably the best move. For, not only for Gareth Bale as a professional, but also for Wales as a country. What were your thoughts of that?
5: Yeah, I mean, I saw him play the other night um, and I thought, actually, you know, he looked... Oh, I know he hasn't played much uh, over in America, but he looked for me just a lot happier um i think you know given what he's achieved at real madrid it always made me just like want to tear my hair out the fact that the fans would give him so much um chip, really um but yeah i think it's the perfect scenario you know he is a superstar in wales and i think you know the way that the us kind of fans and the teams have kind of responded to him arriving has been exactly what he needed and I think deserved to be frank. And I think it's exciting that he'll be able to, you know, like you said, match up against some of those plays he's been playing in the last couple of months. So, yeah, I'm excited for him and I really hope that, you know, whatever happens beyond the World Cup. But I hope that he has a good tournament and that the world can see him for like like Wales do, really. And I'm sure they will, because um, he is just, I think, for me, one of those players which is kind of one in a generation type of thing, you know.
0: Certainly. No doubt about it. So let's get into the prediction part of the program. Um, obviously, a difficult group B, uh, one of the most challenging groups in the entire World Cup. Uh, For for a Welsh team that has not qualified for the World Cup since 1958, but however, in recent recent competitions in the Euros, they've done quite well, in my opinion. What are your predictions for, for Wales? Do you think they get out of this group and how far can they run? And if they do make it to a final or even win the World Cup, what would that mean for Welsh football in general and to you?
5: I can't even, first of all, if they got to a World Cup beyond the group stages and beyond, I can't even imagine what Wales is going to be like. The the annoying thing is it is going to be winter here, but I think whatever happens, it will light up, uh, you know, the dreary weather here. But um, listen, I'm going to be optimistic. You know, there's part of me that's Welsh and always feels like, oh, you don't want to be too kind of like, I don't know, optimistic. But I'm going to take some American kind of characteristics here. I'm going to go for it. I'm going to say that we're going to beat the USA. We're going to beat Iran. And I think we'll end up drawing with England. But I think we'll go through on goal difference as top of the group. So I'm going to be bold and I'm going to say it with my heart. And uh, yeah, that's what I think.
0: There's absolutely nothing wrong with saying that. Um, And obviously we're going to find out early in this competition as they face off against each other in the basically match day one. Um, So Beth, thank you for joining us on the show. Um, The best of luck to Wales as they travel to Qatar to uh, face the other teams in group B of the 2022 world cup and best of luck to you. And we look forward to speaking with you again very, very soon.
5: Absolutely. Thanks for having me on.
0: And special thanks again to Beth Fisher for joining us on the show. Roberto, it is prediction time in group B. Um, like You went first the last time. I'm going to go first this time. Uh, looking at England, Iran, USA, and Wales, this is going to be uh, a tough group. Uh, it You know, obviously we're calling it the group of death. And, you know, when we open the group up with England versus Iran on the 21st, uh, it's it's going to be something where England has to get ready um, and get going pretty fast. This Iranian side is going to be very, very difficult to break down. They can attack you. They can counter on you. And and I think it's going to be something that has to be a little bit worrisome for Gareth Southgate and his troops. On the flip side, the United States, obviously, with those same jitters against Wales who are, you know, debutantes at the World Cup. Yeah, you know, to to an extent, uh, because I haven't been there in so long, but it's something that, you know, the U.S. is going to have to be on the front foot against Wales, a Welsh side that is very, very talented, um, can also again attack you, Gareth Bale, um, although may not be quite as good as he used to be, still has some blazing speed and the ability to really strike you quickly and and, and be deadly with it. So to to make a prediction here, um, I think I'm going to take England to win the group. I think it's going to be very close. Uh, I do think this USA Wales matchup right off the bat is going to be one of the big deciding factors, but that last match against, uh, Iran is going to be massive, 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 because I think when we hit that match, you probably might have three teams still on the line for second place, but I'm going to take England first. I'm going to take the USA second in this one. I think this is, uh, we're starting to grow into the golden generation of USA football. Or soccer and and i think that once we get to this point this will be the experience that these this team needs leading into hosting the 2026 world cup where i think that the, the the prize and the goals will be much much higher uh but i do think that this is something that the u.s this group can um you know the u.s can get out of this group if they play their cards right so i'm going to go england one usa two what say you my friend
1: yeah, this is really tough to call, like we did with Group A. I think I'm going to go in reverse, so I'm going to call for the last place team that I think will will finish in this group. And honestly, you know, as great as this side is and has been in, in Europe, um, I just think that, you know, I, I don't think that they will have enough. And I think it all will go into that first game against the United States that they might, you know, kind of sputter around. And, you know, I think it's a talented side, no, no doubt. But I think... It might just be. It might just fall short, just based on how the other teams perform. And I think that's Wales. I think Wales finished in fourth, Iran, I think will finish in third. And this is a good side led by a good manager in Carlos Queiroz. But I just think that with the quality that they have, I think that puts them still behind the likes of obviously the two the two teams that I think are going to go through in England and the United States who I think will finish between first and second. I think I'm going to have to agree with you on both ends. I think the United States, it's, you know, all the criticism that has been given to this side, to Greg Berhalter, I think they kind of switch it vainly a bit better now heading into the um, to the group stage. And I see them finishing in second. I see them really battling out there with England and, and Wales and even getting a result against Iran. But ultimately, I think this might be a case where it could indeed finish in goal difference because I think England and Wales... I'll even put it out there. I think that finishes in the draw, personally. So I think all will depend on how many goals England and the United States get against Iran and Wales. And I think England just edged it out on goal difference for me. So England in first, United States in second, Iran in third, Wales
0: in fourth. And forgive me for not giving you third and fourth, but I'm I'm in total agreement with you. I think Iran finishes third. I think Wales fourth. And I do think that the the positioning between third and fourth and maybe possibly second, third and fourth will be a, a goal differential uh, situation to advance as well. Hopefully it's not a a fair play one that we saw in the 2018 World Cup with Senegal and Japan. But, uh, you know, I, I do think that it could come down to to goals that are scored at, at opportune moments that will advance one of those teams. Um, but I do agree. I think around third, uh, Wales fourth as well. So, uh, Mr. Rojas, thank you for joining me. And thank you to our guests, Ralph Hanna, Arya Alavedri, Grant Wall and Beth Fisher for joining us in previewing England, Iran, USA and Wales for the 2022 World Cup. I am your host, Joe Ucello. Thanks for listening and good night.